0: If you would take your Bible, whether it's a hard copy or a mobile device, and open with me to Mark 15, uh, let me say, way to go. Most of you got here earlier than usual. Thanks for capturing that, that we are starting the message much earlier than we normally do. And it's because we are engaging in the last chapter and a half of the Gospel of Mark, the end of 15, the beginning of chapter 16 or for all of chapter 16. And and we're calling this section of first importance. So even though it's last, the end of the book, it is of first importance. And, And I'm not assigning that to this section. The scripture actually assigns that expression of first importance to this section of scripture. You don't need to turn to it. Stay there in Mark 15. But 1 Corinthians 15 says... Paul writing to them, I delivered to you as of first importance. So what? What was of first importance? What I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So the last half, half of 15, all of Mark 16, is about of first importance. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures he was buried he was raised from the third day on the third day according to the scriptures and he appeared to many and that's what mark 15 and 16 are about so this morning we're going to look very specifically of first importance Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures the historical narrative is in mark 15 beginning in verse 16 so we're going to follow along if you would with me in your bible starting in verse 16 We're going to start by reading up to verse 32. So, longer section, follow along with me. Beginning verse 16. The soldiers took him away into the palace, that is, the praetorium, and they called together the whole Roman cohort. They dressed him up in purple, that is, Jesus, and after twisting a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to acclaim him, "'Hail, King of the Jews!' And they kept beating his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling and bowing before him. After they had mocked him, they took the purple robe off him and put his own garment on him and they led him out to crucify him. They pressed into service a passerby coming from the country, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. Verse 22. Then they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide what each man should take. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right hand and one on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with transgressors. Those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wag- wagging their heads and saying, Ha! You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priest also, along with the scribes, were... Mocking him, along, uh, mocking him among themselves and saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. Verse 32, let this Christ, the king of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe, which they had no intention of doing. It's more of the mockery. Those who were crucified with him were also insulting him. So let me pause there in this passage and just acknowledge that's a horrific scene, is it not? It's a scene that's really almost beyond comprehension. The brutality that you and I can hardly imagine. And I want us to understand the reality that though Jesus was 100% God, He was also 100% man. And therefore, the brutality that was poured out on Jesus, did he feel it? Did he experience it? Or was he immune from it because he was God? No, I want us to recognize that Jesus fully experienced the pain. As... As a man, Jesus fully experienced the pain, the pain of the scourging, the pain of the crown of thorns twisted and placed on his head, and the pain that the crucifixion was intended to impart on a person. So uh, don't think, because sometimes we think wrongly of Jesus. Well, it was Jesus, so he he was God, so he didn't feel it. No, he would have felt it just as much as as any other person. And so as you go through that account that I just read, it's just hard to imagine the scourging that Jesus would have. It's hard for me to imagine taking something like this, and with all of my strength, taking it and hitting a man on the back with nine strands of bone and nail and glass tied into it so that as it hit, it would pierce the flesh and then just rip down and hit from the side and pierce the flesh and rip across. I can't imagine being, hitting someone, let alone hitting, being hit with this. I mean... Again, this, is, this really happened. The impact of a man who, who was a professional at this. I mean, it was his expertise to, to use this weapon and take a man to the brink of death, but not past it. To inflict as much pain as possible, but not. Killing. It was an expert of inflicting, of whipping, a scourging 39 times with this on the back. To then take a twisted crown of thorns, one that that you got to be careful just to handle. But if you've whipped a man, you're not gingerly placing this on his head. But to place this on the head and and ram it down. And then with cruelty to take your rod and beat him on the head. So that with each blow, every one of these thorns driving into all around the skull. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? It's sobering. It's brutal. It's frightening. It's awful. And it's what they did to Jesus. Mocking him as they beat him to a pulp, to the point of death. And then, after mocking him, to to take him out to a wooden beam and and to lay a man down and to pray, take his arms out and take a spike and drive it through human flesh. I mean, have you ever had a hammer and nail in your own hand and, and tried to, that, that first hit to set the nail so it'll hold it and then dry? Have you ever thought of the impact that it would take to set a nail Through human flesh, through the arm, and in. There's no tapping here. This is a a soldier swinging with all his might to drive a spike through a hand and then to pull the other arm down and to drive it through the hand and then to bring the feet together and drive it through not one but two feet. See, I can't imagine the experience, the sound, what would come out of the man who that's being done to. The blood, the, and it's, it's just a brutal scene. And I want us to understand, he fully experienced it. And I want us to understand That what Jesus endured from the scourging to the crown to the crucifixion is something, folks, is beyond what you and I can comprehend. And so, as awful as this sounds, let me put it in perspective. Some 12 to 15 hours earlier... Jesus, if you'll remember, had been in a garden praying, and he had asked his best friends to pray with him, and they couldn't do it. They kept nodding off and falling asleep, but Jesus was not struggling with sleep at all. Do you know why? If this is happening to you in the morning, are you struggling to stay awake? No, come on, folks. S- sleep is the last thing on your mind. Y- you are Jesus in the garden. This will make sense now. Sweating drops of blood. That's the level of anticipation. And so he is sweating drops of blood and he's crying out, Father, if at all possible, Let this cup pass from me. Not my will. I'm determined to do whatever you ask, but if at all possible, let the cup pass. And because of what we see happen to Jesus twelve hours later, we imagine that that he has this picture of a cup in front of him that's intended for him to drink. But he looks in the cup and he sees in the cup he sees that whip, he sees the nails, he sees the crown of thorns, he sees the reeds to beat him with, and he's going, "No, God, let that let it pass." But actually. When Jesus imagines a cup for him to drink and he looks in it, as horrific as all of this is, it's not what he sees. What, what you and I, honestly, we cannot imagine. We cannot imagine. Let's just acknowledge I cannot imagine looking into a cup and seeing that my future holds something worse than this. But Jesus did. This is not what he was begging the father. If possible, don't let me drink it. Something worse. And it's what happens in the next three hours on the cross. Is it what we see Jesus seeing in the cup? Go back to the text, if you would, with me. To verse 33 of Mark 15. When the sixth hour came, crucified three hours earlier, when the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Ali, Ali, Lamas Vakhtani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they began saying, Behold, he's calling for Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it up, put it on a reed, and gave him a drink, saying, Let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. Jesus uttered a loud cry, and Mark doesn't record it, but maybe you know it, three words. What does he utter a loud cry? It is, it is finished. And breathes his last. And the veil of the temple torn in two from top to bottom. You see, when when Jesus looked into the cup, as brutal and horrible as this is, he did not see the torture. He didn't see the whip. When he looked into the cup, what did he see? Why did he say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He said that. Not because he was experiencing physical pain and saying, God, why did you allow that to happen? Not because he was gasping for every breath as he lifted himself on his nail-pierced feet to try to get another breath to down and then up. That's not why he's saying, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? He is saying that because he, the Father, made him the Son who knew no sin to be to be sin on our behalf. You see, when Jesus looked in the cup, it wasn't the physical suffering, as horrible and brutal. That pales in comparison to what Jesus saw. What he saw was the sin and the penalty for sin that would cause a holy father to forsake the son. So at the ninth hour right before he breathes his last three words Sam it is finished meaning what meaning I've drank a cup how much of it some of it All of it. When he says it is finished, he is saying what John writes later in 1 John 2 2. He himself, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins. Now, Paul's right there because propitiation is never a word we use. Propitiation simply means the satisfying of wrath. So, Jesus himself took upon himself the wrath of God. He who knew no sin became sin for us. So he took the wrath that who deserved? That I deserved. He satisfied it by the giving of his life. He is the propitiation, the satisfaction of the wrath of God for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. You see, if you're trying with me, you go, that's terrible, that's awful, that's brutal. Oh God, please never. But that pales in comparison into a cup in which Jesus looked at the wrath of God that ail the world for all the sins of all time. That wrath that had to be satisfied was in the cup. And Jesus said, I finished it. He wasn't saying, I am finished. He said, it, the cup, has been fully finished emptied onto me it was the wrath of God that was in the cup so that then he breathed his last because for the one who came to seek and to save the lost once he has satisfied the wrath of God the purpose for which he has come has been fulfilled there is no reason to live any longer it's finished I'm done he breathes his last you see the reason And what happens out of sight? Only afterwards, what have they known? When that happened, this happened. What happened out of sight? A veil in the temple in Jerusalem. A veil. Don't think clear wedding veil. Think a veil that is literally six inches thick, woven together to never to be able to be torn because it was what separated where the presence of God was in the temple in what is called the holy of holies because he is the holy of holy. He is completely and without sin and the veil was the symbol that the presence of God and his holiness was separated from sin-filled humanity. And when Jesus took the wrath of God for all people of all time for the whole world and he drank it then that which separated people from a holy God the veil was torn from top not bottom to top but top to bottom because God had made a way that Jesus as Peter says also died for sins once for all not a priest who had have to year after year make sacrifices Christ once for all Died for sins the just for the unjust so that he might bring us to God that the veil would be opened so I want us to understand yes this is awful this is brutal Jesus fully experienced the pain of the scourging the crown and the crucifixion But it pales in comparison to the fact that Jesus fully paid the penalty for the sin of all the world. All sin of all time. The wrath of God that we deserved poured out on him. Now, if you were tracking with me through the text, you may remember that as Jesus hung on the cross, there was something over his head. What was it that was over his head? It was a sign. And written on that sign said, Jesus, the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. Have you ever ask yourself, why was that up there? Was that to identify who he was? Was it a nameplate? No, if you read the passage with me, you can go back again. If you read it, it was the inscription of the charge against him. It was the reason for which he was nailed to the cross. It was the reason, it was the penalty for the crime for which he was being crucified for it was what we would say in our language it was the indictment against him except he had done no wrong and so they nailed him to the cross for claiming to be king of the jews but that is not are you listening that is not why he was obedient to the point of death on the cross. That's why they nailed him. That's not why he went. He went not because he was a criminal, because he had a certi- what the Romans would have called a certificate of debt. That's what that was. It wasn't a nameplate. It was a certificate of debt. It was the inscription of the charge against him, but that's not why he went. The reason he went, Colossians says, is having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us. Did you capture that? This was his certificate of debt for which he was being crucified. But that wasn't true. He was without sin. He was without having done wrong. He went to the cross, not because of his certificate of debt, which hung over his head wrongly. It was because of the certificate of debt consisting against us. In other words, it was our sin, our wrong that caused Jesus to be crucified of first importance. Jesus died for Our sins, according to the scriptures. You see, I want us to understand. Somebody asked me last night, oh, you changed the series for the last part. I was really wondering, what were you going to call this Jesus encounter? And they guessed, was it Jesus encountered death? And I said, no. It would have been Jesus encountered crucifixion? No. Why not? Because all of us are going to die. And as brutal and awful as this was done to Jesus, there were many people that this was done to. In fact, on the very day that they did this to Jesus, they did this to two other guys, at least. No, what was unique about What Jesus did on this day recorded in Mark 15 is not that he died and not that he was crucified. It was that Jesus encountered the wrath of God for the sin of the whole world. And no one else could have ever encountered that. That's the uniqueness of the death and the crucifixion of Jesus. He paid the penalty for our certificate of death against us. And he has taken it, what's it say, out of the way, having nailed it, my certificate of death, having nailed it to the cross. That's why he went. So I want you to do something that may be a a little humbly in front of you. There are red cards behind the communication cards, the connect cards there. And they say certificate of debt. Would you take one out and make sure everybody around you has one? So if you need to pass one down the row, just make sure everybody has one of these. Because every single one of us has a certificate of debt. Yes? Yes? All right. This is what will be humbling. Because we tend not to try not to think about this stuff. I want you to take something to write with a pen or a pencil. I want you to start writing what's on your certificate of debt. In other words, if that's confusing to you, you begin to write all the sins you've committed in your life. I'm only going to give you a minute. That will not be enough time. But I'm telling you, we try not to think about this stuff. And it'll be humbling to begin to write it down. I want you to begin to write right now every sin that the Lord Jesus brings to your mind that you have committed. You can write small so the people aren't peeking. It'll be humbling. But it is the certificate of debt that is hostile to us. Pretty sobering once you get going, isn't it? The stuff we don't think about. Stuff we kind of just pass over and go, wow. The lie, the thought, the unkind word, the angry outburst, the selfishness just yesterday, the demanding spirit, the lust, the greed, the stealing, the lie. It just goes on and on and on. See, I want us to understand Jesus went to the cross for all that every person would fully write on that certificate. And what was in the cup was the wrath that we all deserve because of all the sin of all the world of all time. And he said, It's finished. Now go back to the text. Verse 39. Something really powerful happens. Right there in verse 39 of Mark 15. When the centurion, that's this Roman soldier, who was standing right in front of him. In other words, he was intended to watch this man and to make sure that no one tried to come and to take him or to rescue him or to help him. When the centurion who was standing right in front of him saw the way he breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was the son of God you understand what happened? Did the man show up that day believing that? No. No, for all we know, this is is one of the guys who drove a spike. This is one of the guys who cast lots, who took the garments of Jesus so that Jesus was hanging on that cross naked. And by the time he heard him say, Father forgive them. They don't know what they do. And my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it is finished. By the time he experienced all of that, what he saw, what he heard, he goes, I believe that truly was the son of God. That's powerful. It's powerful. It's why Jesus went to the cross. That we might hear and see ourselves and believe that he is the Christ, believe that he is the son of God and believing have life in his name. Not everybody believed, you understand? there are people who experienced everything that Roman centurion believed that day and they went home with the insults still in their mouth, with their hatred still in their mouth and their despising of Jesus, refusing to believe that he was who he claimed to be. But that centurion went home a different man than when he had come to work that day. He believed. And you know what's amazing to me about this? Don't miss this. I doubt the man had ever heard a verse from scripture. He didn't know his Bible. He had not gone to the synagogue. He was a Roman soldier. It was completely new to him. And in that day, for the first time ever, he encountered Jesus and believed in him. He didn't go, man, I need to go get my life together and be a little better person and maybe be more acceptable to God. You see, I say that because so many of us, we see Jesus and we think, I should be a better person. Stop. When we see Jesus like that Roman centurion, we need to go, I believe. I believe and and be born again. You may go, man, you've talked about, you've said some stuff I do not understand. You don't have to understand it all. You don't have to have grown up, going to church. You simply need to, today, right now, go, wow, I do believe Jesus is the Son of God. And that believing I'd have life in his name. Others of you are going, yeah, I, I know, I've, heard that. I've grown up, I've been a Christian my whole life. You're wrong. No one has been a Christian their whole life. A person who is a Christian is a person who comes to the place where they recognize Jesus is the son of God and he did for me what I couldn't do. He paid a debt that I could not pay. He drank the cup so that I would not have to. I admit I deserve it, but he took it. I believe in him. See, no one is a Christian their entire life. There is a point in time where you believe and are born again, become a new person in Christ. Some of you, you remember back? When you first believed? I do. It wasn't the first time I heard this. It wasn't the first time I had been exposed to Jesus. I had grown up going to church. I had grown up hearing about Jesus. And then one night, I heard it in a way that I had never heard it before. And it was like God was pounding on my heart. And I knew it was true and I believed. I didn't understand it all, but I believed. And the scripture, the scripture couldn't be more clear. I know, I know lots of his heart is, but this is the simple truth. That God loved the world, that he gave his son, the one who was without sin, to be Comes sin for us so that whoever would believe in him, even a person who had never heard about him before today, even a person whose life is a wreck, whoever believe in him, no matter what they had done in their past that would believe in him, they wouldn't pay the penalty for their sin, but they would be forgiven and have eternal life. It happened for that man in one day. You see, Jesus fully experienced The horror of this. And Jesus fully paid the penalty for the sin of all men of all time so that Jesus would freely invite you. Don't think about somebody else, your spouse, the person sitting beside Jesus would invite you to believe and receive the gift of forgiveness. Some of you have already believed. Maybe this morning here in South, over in North, you would go, this is like I haven't heard it before. I have that sense, Doug, of what you just described, that that God is pounding on my heart. And I want to believe. The Scripture says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised the one who died for you from the dead, you'll be saved. Because this is a first important, I I want us to do something pretty unique right now. I want to invite us to one by one take that certificate of debt that you have filled out and we're going to start with the front row And work our way back in south and in north as well. We're going to start in the front row. We're not going to start yet. But what we're going to simply do is take the certificate of debt. I'm going to out the side. And we're going to go, this is why Christ died. I'm going to invite you to, as an expression that you believe, to place it on one of the nails on the cross. And then you'll take one of these white cards. That is a reflective, I believe. It simply says that, I believe in Jesus. And it says this, verse, Galatians 2.20, which if you're not familiar, says this, I am crucified with Christ. That he paid my penalty. Now, if you go on, whoa, 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 whoa I, I'm not ready <laughs> to believe, you don't have to do this. People went home that day not believing. But I would beg you, and I use that word intentionally, I would beg you, believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin. You know, you know that you know because I know it. I knew it when God was gone. I love you, Doug. Believe in me. And I did. And so, I want to invite you to place your certificate of debt because that's what he nailed to the cross, not his, yours. And take this, I believe. And then come back to the center aisle, go back to your seat. We'll work front to back during this time. We will be remembering the cross through scripture and through song, okay? So if you wanna stand now, and we're gonna begin by remembering scripture read to us from the book of Romans. And then we'll start with the front row.